Welcome everybody to another developer cast here on the channel. I am of course Josh Placer and we have another great evening for you tonight. We're going to be talking to the developer of the upcoming game Viola. And this game is different by the fact that it's combined both RPG gameplay and platformer design into a single gameplay loop or into several. And we have the developer on now to talk about things. And because my allergies are killing me, and I'm afraid I may butcher his name horribly, I'm going to let him introduce himself. So uh, feel free. All right. Hey, guys. I'm uh, Jelle van Dorna. I'm a game developer, designer, creator, writer, everything from the Netherlands. And I'm the creator, the sole creator of Viola. All right. Uh, Jelle, it is great to have you on today. What is the time difference, by the way, right now? It is slightly past 9 p.m. here. Okay, so just about so six, six hours. Six, yeah, six yeah. hours. There's about. All right. Well, it is a pleasure to have you on. For people tuning in for this live or recorded, I did play Viola as part of a spotlight a few weeks ago. This was the bill that would be going up right around the time the game is hitting early access. And it is going to be on early access on July 23rd. Is that correct? Yep. All right. And we definitely had a lot of fun with it, and I'm happy to have you on because I have a lot of questions, and it's always great to talk to developers about their designs. So, yep. uh, before we get too far, or before we start diving deep into the gameplay of Viola, could you talk a little bit about kind of your background in the game industry? Sure. Uh, this is my first solo uh, endeavor as an indie developer. Uh, before this, I worked at a mobile game company in Eindhoven. Mm -hmm. uh, it was called Game House, and we sort of made these uh, Diner Dash S clones. Uh, mm -hmm. Essentially, just you have a shop that you're running. Customers come in, you tap them away, that sort of stuff, and there would be little mini stories uh, between each level. Like uh, at the start of each level, you'd have a little cutscene, and at the end, uh, and every game from that company would have its own little theme. So some would be airport, others would be fashion, which is what I worked on. Others were restaurant. Um, and I got laid off from that at some point. We were making enough millions of downloads. So uh, they let half the studio go at that point. And I thought, you know, this is the perfect opportunity for me to just go indie and just do it by myself. Great. And how long have you been working on Viola Forula? Um, it's been since March last year. Okay. And uh, one question I always like to ask our guests when I'm uh, talking internationally, how is the rest of the game industry, whether it's from or uh, as a, uh, either a AAA or independent side in the Netherlands right now? Well, uh, Guerrilla Games is essentially the only real AAA developer in our country. Um, famous from Horizon Zero Dawn and Killzone. Okay. Um, they're really the only one doing AAA games. The rest is all indie and mobile and a lot of, um, what's it called, serious games. A lot of like mm -hmm. educational games or games for companies. Uh, those are really popular in here. Uh, but we're rather small, even though there are a lot of companies doing it, uh, we're rather small and unknown. Mm-hmm. I think if have you ever played uh, Reus, that's one that I can point at. That's like uh, a big indie title. I think they recently released another game uh, yeah. in the same in the same sort of genre. Godhood, I think it's called. 
Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Um, I am definitely familiar with Abbey Games. I've been playing their exactly. games since Ruse. And I think we are actually scheduled, hopefully, in the coming weeks to have them on for a follow-up cast about what's going on with Godhood. Oh, that'd be fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So, with uh, Viola, I guess, what game engine are you using for designing it? It looks kind of like Game Maker to me, but I'm not 100% sure. It's made with Unity. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I guess with the design of Yola, um, I guess where did it come from in terms of combining the RPG and the platformer gameplay? Yeah, so it came from playing Lisa uh, when it came oh. out and being extremely unsatisfied with it, actually. <laughs> Even though it's such a popular game that's widely regarded as being really good, it came out like around the same, the same time that Undertale came out. And people were like, Lisa's just as good as Undertale. <laughs> I was like, I got to get on this. I got to play this. And I was so disappointed by it. Uh, mostly because it's, it is a side-scrolling platformer-esque game. Mm-hmm. Uh, as in, you go from left to right and you climb ledges. But it's so slow. And if you ever fall down from like a height of two ledges, you take falling damage. And it's really, <laughs> it really frustrated me while playing it. Even though I thought there were some interesting elements in there, like the party system, how you could... Uh, recruit different kinds of characters based on like what you were doing in the game uh, and that's where that unsatisfactory feeling is sort of what spawned file or at least what spawned the idea of combining a 2D platformer with a JRPG hmm. and I think that's one of the more interesting aspects about uh, Viola that I was playing compared to other games that have kind of used the platformer side as kind of the base for something else. So um, I'm sure you've played, you know, puzzle platformers and even stuff like, a, oh, wow, even like something like Super Mario RPG or Paper Mario, right. that it's a plat like the platformer is the base and then you have the RPG side. But a lot of the issues with these games, as you said, is that the platformer gameplay kind of feels secondary. Like, it doesn't yeah. feel like a good... It doesn't feel good in your hands from a platforming point of view. And for those of you watching this around live recorded, my second book is actually going into pretty much a deep dive into platforming design. I spent uh, most of 2019 playing nothing but platformers. So I had a chance to grip my teeth on that. And what I found very fascinating playing Viola is that the platforming gameplay, it feels like a real platformer. Like, I was surprised when I I was actually able to do a triple jump with the main character in the game. And I guess, what kind of inspired you to have more of an emphasis on the platforming compared to these other games? Hmm. Well, the triple jump in particular came from just playtesting. I was just testing the game with people, and at the time, you could only jump and do a wall jump. (laughs) Uh, And I just had like a survey. I just had people take a survey and just rank every element of the game based on how fun it was. Uh, Like just walking, attacking, blocking, using spells, jumping, wall jumping, what was fun, what wasn't fun. And jumping would specifically be regarded as not fun. People did not enjoy jumping (laughs) in Viola at first. I was like, oh, that's a problem for a game that's 50% platforming, right? So uh, that's sort of what spawned the idea of like, okay, I want to expound, I want to expand on these jumping mechanics. That's why I added uh, the triple jump to it. 
and also because it's um, it, it, it's sort of a balancing act between platformer and RPG. If I make the platforming parts too much fun, people don't want to do the RPG stuff anymore, and vice versa as well. Yeah. Um, so that's why like Viola doesn't have you know some mechanics like dashing that's popular in games like Celeste, which are really tight platformers. Um, there's no dashes in Viola specifically, so that the game is a little bit slower on the platformer side, so that the RPG stuff is just a little bit more fun, but doesn't overtake the platforming. Mm-hmm. And with Viola, like in terms of like the design itself, as you said. Like, one of the things that we see from a lot of these games, especially when they come from independent developers who tend to combine different genres into a single game, is that it's, one usually falls by the wayside. You know, I'm enjoying the, yeah. this side, but then I have to go do this, and it's not as interesting. Exactly. Or you end up with a case where both elements feel, you know, lesser. Like, it doesn't feel like a well-put-together RPG or well-put-together shooter in some cases, and you're kind of level with this experience that doesn't really mesh well. And with the game, I guess, from the get-go, was it always going to be a platformer RPG, or did you have other game systems you were testing with it? It was always going to be a platformer RPG. That was my the hook that I started the game with. That was like, okay, this is an interesting, uh, unique selling point for uh, something to sell the game on, essentially. It's sort of capitalistic almost to say like oh that didn't come from your mind as an artistic expression (laughs) like no no these two things had already existed no i'm gonna put those together and that'll sell (laughs) it's sort of weird to say but that's kind of how it and it's working like Mm -hmm. people are interested just by hearing like oh i'm making a platform rpg people are excited about that Mm -hmm. um so it was always going to be a platform rpg the one thing that I did uh, experiment on at the start of the game was the musical elements of it. Um, when I just started out, I was basically still learning how to do basic C-sharp with Unity. And I figured, you know, I'm just going to make a couple of mechanics and see, just to learn more and see what's fun and what isn't fun. And then I made a the mechanic of playing the instrument, similar to how Zelda works. And I just thought, like, that's yeah, a fun throwaway thing. You know, you can have, like, your party members and they'll play instruments as well. But people really responded super well to that. And people were more excited about it, just knowing that they could play the instruments and that there was, like, a musical element to it. And they were, like, they were really excited about it, even if in the playtest it didn't do anything, right? Mm. Just a possibility to get people excited. Yeah, like... We haven't. We've seen like a few musical or musical inspired RPGs in the past. The one that's like popping to my mind. I think it was even called Rhapsody. I think this was a PlayStation One title. I think it was like I want to say ninety seven, ninety eight. But it's been a very long time since we've seen games kind of have that musical theme to it. I guess. Do you have any background with music that kind of helped you with the game? No. Hmm. Not at all. <laughs> I've played, um, when I was young, I played the the concert flute, the sideways long, like, brass sort of flute. Um, and I was really, really bad at it. And I found out that I'm a little bit tone deaf, actually. Well, that's good. I'm completely tone deaf when it comes to music. <laughs> so I think we're 
good there. So you're in trouble playing viola. Oh, good. <laughs> no, it's not that. That also sort of inspired me to not make it as musical. Uh, how do you put it? You don't need to know music theory. That's you don't good. need to read notes. Um, even oh, the rhythm you. sections <laughs> in the RPGs are just more like QTEs rather mm -hmm. than actual rhythm game stuff. <laughs> Partly because like I know that people just have trouble with that. Not everybody has the same amount of rhythm. I'm, I'm sure don't. I'm bad at rhythm games. Oh, yes. So uh, I figured, like, okay, that's going to be more... It's going to be a theme rather than, like, the hook itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, for myself, like, going back to an RPG, like, if you remember Super Mario RPG had, like, those musical sections where you had to play the songs, and I could not do any of that. Like, I cannot read sheet music... Anything that involves, like, matching notes or melodies, you know, that's how, yeah. like, I can play Dark Souls easily. I can, that game is easy for me, but I can't do a piano-based puzzle to save my <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. No, I have the same issue. That's why the mechanic started out so, so simple and the same as Zelda, where you're just using the eight notes, and you can often just copy the pattern or uh, just do it, you know, and just like in Zelda, you can go into your menu and say, okay, I want to play this song, and it'll like appear uh, opaque, so you can just input the numbers, that input the buttons that it says, instead of remembering the entire song. Mm -hmm. Now, with uh, Viola, with the RP, we've talked about the platforming for a little bit, and I'll, I won't come back to that in a minute or so, but on the RPG side of things, uh, I guess what inspired you for that kind of gameplay for the title? I just love RPGs. This is my favorite genre. Uh, my favorite game of all time is Lufia 2, Rise of the Sinistrals on Super Nintendo. Mm. That's one of the first games I played as a, as a kid. My grandfather would have this. He, he had the strategy guide for it, and he gently tore out every page of it and put it in plastic <laughs> and like had a folder for it that we, so that we could always read it and always beat the game because it was quite difficult. It was quite a difficult game. But that was the first JRPG that I've ever played, and it was in Dutch. And I was four or five years old at the time, so my English was a little weak. And I was like, wow, there's stuff happening in this game. This is, this is weird. This is new. <laughs> and I loved it. And, I've, and ever since then, I've just loved RPGs. So when I started thinking about, okay, what kind of, what kind of game do I want to make? Just RPG came to my mind instantly. <laughs> yeah, but for myself, I've had kind of like a in and out of like loving and hating RPGs for the last oh my goodness, like at least 10-15 years. Like, uh, I grew up during the NES era, so I played Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, and then that uh, led into playing, again, a lot of the Super Nintendo ones. And I think, like, these days, I really haven't found, like, a turn-based RPG that I, fall in, that I could fall in love with. I think the last one that I really enjoyed was uh, Xenoblade Chronicles on, I think that was the Wii when that one came out. Yeah. There's a part two of that. Oh, yeah. I still need to pick that one up if I can ever find the time to play it. <laughs> yeah. That's sort of the problem with these uh, mm -hmm. RPGs is that they're such huge endeavors. Like, I know I have Final Fantasy VII, like, somewhere in my library, but it's like, oh, man. <laughs> I really want to sit through, like, and it's so old at this point, but I really want to sit through 80 hours of that <laughs> when I can just wait a while and play the remake. Yeah. 
um, on stream, like usually once a week we do a classic game night, and one week I decided to play Chrono Trigger again, and I'm like, we could do a full run of this. We may just be seeing it for like, like the next like 50 to 80 hours, though. Like I don't know how many people want to do that all over again. <laughs> well, the beauty of Chrono Trigger is that it's actually like comparatively, it's quite short. Mm-hmm. Like uh, if you're comparing it to like the Final Fantasies, for instance, those were way oh, longer yes. than Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Shimigami Tensei, like those more challenging RPGs, are available as well now. With like Persona, yeah. kind of like being like the breakout hit now these days. Yeah, I did. I've never actually tackled either of those games, so I wouldn't know anything about them. <laughs> I'm waiting for the uh, for Persona Five R before I dive into oh. that series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems to be the wise move when they do like the re when they do kind of like the remaster or the second edition of it. Yeah, I guess here's a question for Yella. In terms of RPG design, I, I think I know the answer to this one, but I just want to get your thoughts on it. Do you have any preference, or have you enjoyed CRPGs, or do you tend to focus more on the JRPG design? Uh, I, I focus more on JRPG specifically for Viola. It's all JRPG. There's mm-hmm. almost no Western RPG stuff in there. Um, because I was such a Nintendo head when I grew up, I'm more focused on the JRPG side, but I do actually enjoy CRPGs. I really love Dragon Age. Dragon Age Origins is a game that I've played like three or four times all the way through from beginning to end. That's a fantastic game. I've tried to get into Pillars of Eternity, but it's not grabbing the mm-hmm. same sort of magic from me. Yeah, uh, Wasteland 2 is one that I did enjoy a while back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fallout 1 and 2 are amazing games, both of them. Especially too, that I feel like that's one of my like top twenty games ever. Just on, but more on account of like the writing in Fallout Two being so witty and so uh, gritty and witty at the same time, and hitting its own stride, like it really being its own thing. I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think like for me, like the weird thing about like the CRPG genre, I think like you, like my first experience RPGs was on the JRPG side. I mean, I think literally my first RPG was Final Fantasy. So I didn't really start to play CRPGs until I think it would be like the mid '90s. I remember playing Fallout, Baldur's Gate, games like that, and. The CRPG side never really hooked me as much, and it's kind of odd because I've seen, like, especially over this decade, so much growth on that side. You know, people loved The Witcher, you mentioned Dragon Age, we have Mass Effect, um, and of course a lot of the offerings from the independent side, but they've always seemed like a lot of work to get into, which I know that's a very weird complaint when we just described an R- a JRPG having like 80 hours of playthrough minimal. Yeah. I, th- I think that a lot of RPG stuff that, that you just described, The Witcher and the Mass Effect, are their RPG is pushed way more in the background. Mm-hmm. You get action at the forefront with both The Witcher and Mass Effect specifically. It's like almost all the further you go along in the series, the more it just goes to like standard first-person shooter. Um, what bothers me mostly about CRPGs is just how old in their design they are and how much stuff there is to learn when you're now, you know, used to more streamlined uh, yeah. game mechanics. 
especially like CRPGs were born from first edition Dungeons and Dragons, right? Now we have fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. Everything is way simpler. So just comparing like Baldur's Gate one to how D and D is played now, for instance, D and D now is way simpler than it was back then. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you are one hundred percent correct there, Yellow. Like. Like, for me, the CRPG genre is probably, like, the roughest one to try and go back to and play. Like, I remember a few years ago when GOG first came out, I saw they had all the Might and Magic games on sale. Like, I never played those. Surely I would enjoy playing them again. Load up the first one. Oh, there's no mouse control. And (laughs) there's no in-game map. Like, I don't want to play this anymore. I just, like, backed away slowly from that. And, yeah. yeah, like, a lot of the CRPGs just, they've always been very front-loaded, I felt, in terms of their design. And I know they just announced, I think a few weeks ago, for those of you watching this live, that there's going to be a Baldur's Gate 3. And, yeah, yeah that's going to be very interesting to see what they do with that, and whether or not they really adhere to those old D&D rules or not. Yeah, that's going to be weird as well. I think they will... Adhere to. I I think they will streamline some subjects and just make it easier to understand because now we live in an age where like tutorials are at the forefront of every game. Like back in the day, you had to read the manual (laughs) to understand what was going on, what you could do, etc. So I think they'll streamline it a bit. But looking at like the success of games like Divinity Original Sin, that's that that's doing amazing. Yeah. And uh, to my knowledge, that's just as complex as, you know, as old Baldur's Gate used to be, as old Dragon Age Origins used to be. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they'll streamline in some, but still keep it relatively complex compared to, you know, some JRPGs. Yeah. And that's always been like that very interesting mix between or that comparison between JRPG and CRPG design. Like JRPGs tend to be a lot simpler to get into. But they tend, at least from the ones that I've played, have a little bit more depth kind of like hidden in terms of their mechanics. Again, like when you do get to play Persona, I'm curious to hear what you would what you think about that kind of design. Because the Shin Megami Tensai franchise has always been built on that kind of kind of like training the player to master those systems. And they've kind of eased away from the incredible or the incredibly hard difficulty of the older ones. Um, I remember Nocturne. I think this was 2001, 2002. That one, the game's like second or third boss was such a gatekeeper that if you didn't master the mechanics by that fight, you were not going to win that battle easily. And they have certainly have walked away from that. They made things a lot easier. But I guess for you, Yellow, like with the RPGs that you've played, like would you agree that JRPGs tend to have like a lot more like I guess under the surface systems to them? Hmm. I guess that sort of just depends on what JRPG you're playing. Like with Xenoblade, I know that like there's a lot of complexity yeah. under the hood. Um, and a lot to think about during battle, whereas, you know, something like Chrono Trigger, for instance, is actually quite, just quite simple. It's pretty yeah. straightforward. Um, and games that copy it, like I Am Setsuna from, what was it called? RPG Factory. Mm-hmm. Really underrated JRPG, by the way. But um, that just sort of like added one extra layer of mechanics, and that was it. Um, so it really, it, it, there, there's, there's a big difference in there. They can either be 
really complex with a lot of like design mechanics under the hood, or they can just sort of stick to to what they know. Yeah. I guess as a question for you, did you have a chance to play Octopath Traveler yet? I did not. I haven't played that one either, but from the people I've spoken to have, they've said that is pretty much like classic JRPG design released in 2018 kind of game. Hmm. And, yeah, like um, Chris in chat mentioned that the manual's now built into the game. Like, we've seen developers trying to streamline a lot of the complexities of these designs. And, like, you mentioned a few of the classic or you kind of mentioned a few of the more modern takes on that with pillars of eternity wasteland 2 and etc and like that's always been one of the things i found very interesting because i've tried playing a few of those more modern entries we did one i'm sure somebody watching this who watched one of our grab back streams can remember the name of it but i played this game that was very much modeled like almost part and parcel under those old crpg design and I just could not get into it. Like, there was no attempt at kind of modernizing that gameplay. It was very much that old-school style of spend the first 30 minutes building a character that if you mess up at any point, you just kind of screwed your whole playthrough for the next 50 hours. Yeah. That's the kind of game that you need a strategy guard to play. Mm -hmm. It's the same with Fallout 1 and 2. Is like, you can build your character in any way, but if you don't have 10 agility... Good luck completing this shit. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's, that's been a problem. But I think that's more of a problem of just bad balancing, in a sense. I don't think that the system itself is poorly done. I just think it's balanced poorly, like every kind of place. If, you, if you're doing a, a game where you're offering lots of different kinds of playstyles to the player, you should make sure that every type of playstyle is equally uh, effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, As for what, what Chris said in the yeah. chat about... The manual is now built into the game. I actually enjoy it when the game explains stuff to me. Yeah. If I have to look stuff up, that's, oh, that's, yes. that's a minus. I don't like it. I, I'll like <laughs> it less. Yeah, I agree with you completely on that one, y'all. I'm the same way. That it, good design to me, I should not have to you know look on websites or guides or watch a YouTube video to figure out how your game yeah. works. And Exactly. It is very much like high-level game design, the titles that get that right, that they can explain these systems in a way that I can learn all organically through playing the game, or the UI is streamlined enough that I can make sense as of what's going on while looking at it. Yeah, that's one of the, that's definitely a hard thing to design for though, especially, you know, obviously the more complex your mechanics get, the more you have to just give up and say, here's a bunch of text for you to read because <laughs> I have no idea how to naturally explain to you that like you can spend these kind of points to do this kind of maneuver, but only in this specific scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, or, yeah, you're going to have to like just say, like, okay, here's a quick text box. Just read this. It's going to be fun, I promise. Or uh, we can also uh, give them bonus points when they design unique... Uh, uh, what was it? Unique uh, symbols and icons that are never explained in game. What they actually mean? That's yeah. always fun. You mentioned Dark Souls. The first time I played Dark Souls, mm. I rested at a bonfire and it showed me three <laughs> things. And I was like, "What? What is? What is humanity? What is this? What does any of that mean?" 
and later on you just kind of find out like okay you just need to click on it and just try stuff out and just experiment with it but yeah that made it really hard for me to initially get into dark souls yeah and like we said with a lot of crpgs that front load that information it's kind of like okay what does charisma affect and perception okay i'll put points into that Oh, but you didn't put points into the other skill. Well, now your character's screwed. You know, go back and rebuild them yeah. again and again. Yeah. Uh, Ryan in chat asks a question about Viola. Uh, what kind of play modes are you planning to put in? Like, will there be a new game plus, a time trial? You know, like, what are you planning like along like those secondary or additional content wise? So what I want to do is. Um... Have you ever played Celeste? Mm -hmm. That has assist mode where you can like give yourself extra dashes or slow the game down, stuff like that. Basically stuff to make the game easier. I wanna have like a customized setting in the options menu where you can say, okay, I wanna uh, make sure that like I don't have to do the rhythm attacks or I don't have to do the spell commands or I can use HP bars. And I also kinda wanna do something where you can make stuff harder. Right, so like where the timing for your attacks might be tighter, but you'll do more damage or something like that. Interesting. Um, because actually, like some players have showed up to me and said, you know, I kind of want the challenge back from like older RPGs. Yeah, I was. And I was like, oh, that's something that I've not really heard before. Usually, people mm -hmm. talk about making things easier nowadays, <laughs> not necessarily making things harder. But I think it's like, hey, like why not? If I can do one thing, I can do the other thing. Yeah, and uh, while I was playing uh, Viola on stream, I was actually commenting that to the people. Like, I was wondering if there was going to be kind of more rewards for proper button pressing. Like, again, in the Mario RPGs, if you time the A button right, you can either reduce damage or increase the damage you do to an enemy. I guess here's one. I'm going to test your knowledge on y'all. Have you ever played the uh, Vagrant Hearts series? Um, I, I think I'm confusing it with Valiant Hearts. Yeah, let me make sure Valiant I have the Hearts right. Is the, is the, that's the military sort of side scroller, right? Yeah, let me make sure I got the right name because they're so. May I may actually set the wrong one. Let me make sure here. Oh, I'm sorry. I did confuse it. Not Vagrant Hearts. Shat I think it's Shadow Hearts. There's way too many games that... There, too many RPGs. Shadow Hearts. There it is. Yes. There are way too many games. That's true. Yes. No, I've not, I've not heard of that, series. Yeah, with Shadow Hearts, they really pushed heavily into the time button presses for various attacks. They had this thing, it was like a wheel that would spin around, and if you time your button press to the correct notches on the wheel, you would do more damage or you reduce it. And one of the things they did, I think it was starting in the second one, was they actually went as far as allowing you to customize that wheel based on how easy or hard you want to make the game. So there was like the novice wheel that you could press at any time the attack would go through, but you would do less damage. And then for expert players, they had the like the pro wheel, where if you didn't time it right, all your attacks would miss. But if you did get that proper timing, you would do far more damage than you would while using the beginner wheel. I've, I've literally never heard of that before. That's never... Uh... Mm. 
Nobody's ever ever to- told me about that. Sounds yeah. interesting. Yeah, like I feel the like Shao- something like that would be interesting to add to Viola. Yeah, like the Shadow Hearts franchise. I really don't know how well it did overall. It did. It was popular enough to get three games in it, but the last one. When did that one even come out? That was 2005. So we have not seen a new one from them in a very long time. But people have likely forgotten about it. Yeah. But like uh, bring this back to Viola and again like that kind of trying to balance those difficulties like we saw with Celeste. Like it is very interesting what you just said about players wanting more complexity and depth. Because, like we've said, like one of the big things about kind of what's going on in game design today is a greater push towards playability and accessibility, which normally means making the game easier or having accommodations for lesser skilled players. I guess, yeah. did they give, like, the people that who play tested the game who said they want things to be harder, did they give, like, any justification or a rationale for it? I think it's just more fun to have a challenge. Hmm. There, there's a uh, I have a book nearby um, but it basically just has like a it's about flow and it shows like a chart of like yeah. if the player is too bored but they are of a high certain skill level and they don't get enough challenge they'll get bored but if there's too much challenge and they're of that skill level they'll get uh, they'll get disillusioned with the game they'll be like this is too difficult for me I'm gonna turn this off and you want your game to be in that flow state where they're in, like, basically, like, right in the middle of that, where it's, yeah. like, the game is still challenging them, but not too much. Uh, and I think that's just it, is that if people play the game and it's too easy, like, they just blow through it, and they'll get bored with it. Yeah. But as we just said, the on the opposite side of that, if your game is too hard and the player just feels overwhelmed from minute one, they're just going, you know, throw their hands up and go do something else. Yeah, I think there's also just been a counter push, um, like the Sekiro uh, <laughs> discussion from earlier in the year, I thought was incredibly interesting, but was overloaded with people who were angry, yeah. right? Because I was like, what kind of art medium, like there's no other art medium that basically asks the player to be, have a certain like dexterity, mm-hmm. right? Like you can sit down a movie, you can sit down with a movie or with a book, and probably get through it and, you know, grok most of it. You'll understand most of it uh, unless it's a very complex book or movie. And with a game, it's just like, nope. From the get-go, we're going to ask you to, you have to do certain things. You have to be a participant. I was like, that's so interesting. And now we have this discussion about, like, okay, we want to we involve more people in this, um, in this medium by making it more accessible. But then... You know, what if that non-accessibility is sort of part of the experience, like Sekiro and Dark Souls? People are proud to beat those games, right? Mm-hmm. I've beaten Sekiro, and I was like, this is an amazing feeling. Mm-hmm. This feels great. Uh, if we could, we should do like a virtual fist bump for <laughs> both of us being Sekiro. But yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's the very hard part. And it's very interesting about uh, Viola in terms of having... Uh, accommodations for the harder side because like with something like Sekiro like one of the complaints a lot of people had was the fact that unlike the Dark Souls series there was no I guess quote unquote buffer 
in Sekiro. The base of the game said, you're going to learn these game systems or you're not playing this game. Like, it wasn't like, oh, if you're having trouble with this boss, you could summon a helper or you can, you know, respect your build. No, no, that wasn't Sekiro's way. Like, if you get stuck at Gintro, for instance, you know, enjoy the next 20 to 30 hours exactly. of trying to figure out that fight. Yeah. Dark Souls was, in that sense, like, compared to Sekiro, was very accommodating. Yes. Being like, hey, you can use humanity, uh, you can use, you can just grind for levels and get stronger, right? You can get stronger oh, yeah. gear um, as long as you, but again, like, Dark Souls also still had that problem of, like, you have to know what a good build would be, kind of, in order to be really effective. Not completely necessary, but, like, if you wanted to be stronger and you didn't know, like, what how to make yourself stronger, you were still in trouble. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's in Sekiro was almost like, uh, nope, we're letting the leash go that you didn't even know was there, right? Mm-hmm. Going into deep end now, buddy. Yeah. And I'm glad we got, we kind of a segue in time about like the hard side of RPGs, because I have a question for Yella, and I have, a, and this is also for the audience as well watching. A lot of RPGs, both on the JRPG and CRPG, CRPG, I'm going to be saying RPG a lot today, tend to have we see them have difficulty sliders or difficulty settings and like for people who know me, I am definitely an action gamer, like I have played plenty of games on the action side on the hardest difficulties you know, I played Sekiro I played Devil May Cry on the as high as I can go, but when it comes to the RPG side I've kind of shied away from the hard mode that a lot of RPGs have. Because for me, like, it felt like I wasn't really being tested as a gamer. It just felt like they were just throwing more numbers at me. So my question for everybody is when you play an RPG that has, let's say, easy, normal, hard, what do you typically play those games at? It's a good question. <laughs> I'm personally never a fan of the difficulty slider um, because it's sort of like you never know what the developer's thinking with it. If they're saying normal is the intended experience, I'll usually just go for that just on a kind of like, okay, that's probably the one they spent the most time on. It's like what's hard to them might not yeah. be hard to me, but also vice versa, like what might be easy for the developer might be very difficult for someone else. So to me, I personally am not really a fan of difficulty sliders, especially because, as you said, they just often just throw bigger numbers at you know, and more enemies with more health, and you do less damage. You know, yeah. Skyrim is famous for that, just saying <laughs> like, okay, if it's hard, they have ten percent more HP, and it's just not fun. It just yeah. takes longer. Um, but I'm more of a fan of just saying like, okay, well, you can add these things and make things more difficult and get bigger rewards or you can remove these things just so you can get through the game and play it at your own pace like Celeste did. Yeah. And have you played Bastion and Transistor? Yes, I have certainly played both of them and yeah, I know what you're going to bring up there about how they let you pick and choose those difficulty modifiers. Yeah. They let you pick exactly like, okay, these enemies will get a little stronger or these enemies will do more of that or you have less this. And that way you can pick like, okay, well, I have no trouble with these enemies, so I'm fine if they you know, get stronger and I'll get more experience for it. Yeah. And 
that I think right there is a very interesting point about these kinds of difficulty settings, Yella, and it's something that I've heard a lot of strong arguments for, or for or against, and that is rewarding the player for making things harder. Because there are strong sides or strong opinions for both uh, pro and con- or I'm sorry for both uh, for and against it. Like some people will argue that if you make things, if you reward the player for making things harder, then you're kind of you know coercing or pushing them to play the game at a higher setting. While other people will say that. You know, it should just be a reward for playing the game on the horror setting. Like, they don't need anything else. But, like, for myself, I always like it when games reward you for kind of pushing things to that higher scale. Like you said with Batch and Transistor. Like, I love the fact that when I turn on all those difficulty totems in Bastion, that all of a sudden, I could now, you know, kill the grinding because I was making, like, I think it was like five to ten times more experience with each kill. Yeah. Right, it's just, it's just, it's fun to be rewarded. Like yeah. it's fun to not necessarily be rewarded, but be recognized. I think that's more. Yeah. Like we, we, we both just shared a little physical. Like yeah, both of us beat Sekiro. You know, mm-hmm. and that's not a reward, but it's recognition of yeah. of skill level, and that, and people love that, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're good at something, you want to be recognized for it. Especially you want the game to kind of let you know. And we've talked about this before on previous podcasts that. You know, it's great when the game acknowledges, like, your actions like that. It's the same thing with achievements. You know, jumping up and down for 10 minutes, you know, a player can do that if they want. But it's a different story if the game actually gives you, like, a little trophy or reward for you doing that crazy action. And uh, as a quick aside, uh, Ryan asked... Uh, will there be a major part of grinding in viola or not? Uh, no. That's just no. <laughs> I don't like grinding, um, and I specifically lay out like in viola. There's no random encounters either, mm-hmm. so I know exactly like okay, this is the likely path for a player to take. This is how many monsters they'll probably find with some RNG, but like, some variants. So I uh, want to know like exactly how to scale my enemies to stick with, you know, the player's uh, strength level. And if they want to grind, they can grind. Like if there's people out there who just want to grind to the highest level, they can just do that. Go ahead. I don't mind. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessary. In general, with Viola, I want to tend more to the easier side just because, like, I want to make sure that people are able to play it and that they're able to just enjoy, you know, the story that the game has to offer. And I think that's a very interesting point there, y'all, about having set encounters. Because it's something that I'm seeing a lot more from kind of the indie RPG side of things. Because, again, I'm sure everybody watching us right now, and you as well, we've all played an RPG that has random encounters in it. And it's one of those deadly uh, mainstays or holdovers from old school design. And I don't know about you, but... That's one thing that I'm kind of glad more developers have moved away from. So I've started to get a little bit tired of random encounters. Yeah, absolutely. I think random encounters are just not good in almost any game. Because you just take out the... You're taking people out of the flow. Mm-hmm. And especially with a platformer. I was like, I cannot have random yeah. encounters on a platformer. Like, are you kidding? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
that would just be a disaster. So, I, I'm just having like a vision of like of a Kaizo game that has it, <laughs> and you're doing yeah. like a incredible set of platform, and then all of a sudden Kaizo RPG boss fight out of nowhere. Yeah, no, that would not be that would just not be fun. And there's also like the the idea of expectation. You know, you mm-hmm. want to set, and uh, e- even if it's just seconds, you want to have players be able to. You know, know what's coming ahead of them. So if they see a monster, they're going to be like, oh, okay, it's monster fighting time. Let's do it. Let's have fun. If you're suddenly like overwhelming them with a fight, it's like, oh, geez. Oh, okay. I have to get ready for this, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, coming from a not this Josh, but another Josh in chat okay. was talking about Diffley Sliders can lead the players to not trying as much as they should. Why try when you can just change the difficulty? very true and when it comes to like that kind of difficulty modification uh older fans of me know what i'm about to mention next but my all-time favorite rpg that kind of i think got things right was the world ends with you if you ever played that one very briefly uh on the original ds and yeah, probably like one of the oddest JRPGs ever made. And I think it's probably that's why I took to it so well, because it was just such a different beast compared to any other one that I played. I, I, I oh man, it's been a long time since I really touched that game and mm-hmm. it's uh I really just could not stand the control scheme. I was really having trouble, you know, yeah. differentiating between the two screens and the two control scheme so that that turned me off pretty quickly mm-hmm. yeah and they've been trying to like w- with the remasters and the re-releases they've been doing it on a single screen kind of game or having a touch screen more of an interface and yeah it's one of those weird games i think for the people who loved it you know it's one of their favorite games but if it yeah. didn't hook you then you probably have no desire to play that title yeah there's no in-between for that one. Yeah. I feel like it's almost the same with... That's, in general, what you have with games that are slightly more difficult. Like, the people that love Dark Souls love Dark Souls, myself yeah. included. Mm-hmm. The people that don't like Dark Souls stay as far away as possible from Dark Souls. Yep. But I don't think that's bad. Like, you're yeah. aiming for... With every game, you're aiming for a target audience, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. Like with, a game like Viola, I'm specifically targeting you know people who enjoy games like Undertale, uh, just the, you know the, the the cutesy indie RPGs with you know a story that you can fall in love with, with characters that you can enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the that's the target audience I'm aiming for. I'm not aiming for you know hardcore Kaizo platforming fans. You know <laughs> like they're not gonna have the same fun with Viola. That's okay. Like you need to have your you should your you should focus on what you're good at designing as a designer you should know like okay these are my this is my skill set this is what i'm good at this is what i'm not good at and i'm going to make a game that um that focuses on those aspects as opposed to making something that's sort of all over the place because you feel like yeah this is the most amount of people will like it you shouldn't do that you should make something like just like you know like okay this specific group of people are gonna love this game and they're going to spread it to their friends, and they're going to make sure that everybody who loves that kind of game will end up playing it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and it's, as you said, it's also very important from a development standpoint to know who your intended market is. Because we've seen developers, unfortunately, struggle in the past with trying to throw everything in their game as possible. Yeah. It's going to be an RPG shooter meant for everybody of all skill levels. And it usually turns out not being as enjoyable. And that, and this, again, uh, not only with uh, Viola, but with other games that tend to combine genres, that they run to that problem. That, um, For instance, like, this was one of the issues for me when I played Fallout 3. I, I think it was Fallout 3. And especially with Bethesda's formula for their RPGs, where my brain is telling me that I am playing an action game that I'm moving around, I'm shooting, I'm aiming, but the actual game is an RPG. You know, when I pull the trigger and fall out, all the stats come into play as to whether or not I'm actually hitting yeah. the enemy or I'm doing damage. And conversely, there are people who probably played Borderlands who thought, okay, it's a role-playing shooter, but I need, you know, Twitch FPS skills to have any chance of playing that game. Yeah, it's. Um, I feel like in general, this is a problem with triple A games, like big games, especially because you just have like a huge company with, you know, hundreds of game designers, and they're all like, "Well, gotta put my thing in the game somehow, <laughs> right?" Like, I gotta do the thing I'm good at, um, and they have the time and the resources for it. So that's why you end up with games that are just overblown with mechanics. Think about last year's Spider-Man on the PS4, for instance. There are stealth sections in there, and there's puzzle <laughs> mini games. There's so much to do, and it's like, man, yeah. I just want to be Spider-Man. I want to <laughs> swing, and I want to punch bad guys. And that's in there, but it has so much other stuff. And, and <laughs> in general, people are like, I don't like this other stuff. right? I love being Spider-Man. Don't like the other stuff, but that's going to be a trend for AAA games just on account of like the size yeah. of their projects. Yeah, and we definitely saw that in the last decade as well with, again, many action games having everybody's favorite, the impromptu stealth section, when you lose all your weapons and you have yeah. to spend 30 minutes or so wandering around before you can actually get back to what you were doing. Yeah, and it's also how you get stuff like where... Uh, I've been I've played God of War recently on the mm -hmm. PS4. Even though it's an amazing game, it has a crafting system. I'm like, man, mm. I don't care. Yeah, like I I want to I want to have fun with the combat and explore Atreus and Kratos' relationship. And mm -hmm. making a better chest armor has nothing to do with that. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because. Uh, when we that's another kind of holdover that we especially see in the JRPG genre, though I'm sure there are CRPGs that have done this as well, when they just have all these different subsystems that are designed around kind of like the min-maxing part of the game, where it's like, here's a JRPG combat, but there's also a crafting system. There's that kind of a skill board thing that I think that started in, what was it, Final Fantasy X, I want to say? Where you can, you know, have this massive skill tree. But then there's also a dating mini game, And there's a cooking mini game, And there's like 10 different mini games of yeah. stuff that you can play. And you may have no interest in them. But the developers, of course, will lock the best gear in the game to this kind of system. Yeah. The same with God of War, like the mm -hmm. best gear is like behind the crafting, so you better go find your 
as a guardian steel to get your <laughs> chest armor up where you're going to have more trouble on these fights than, yeah. than you really feel like you should. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of an artificial way to make the player feel like you're getting better at the game. Like uh, with God of War specifically, you can be very good at, at the game because it's such a deep combat system where you can dodge and you can block and you can you can play it perfectly. But if you just don't have enough damage, like the fight is going to take an hour. You might yep. you know take one hit and die because oh, yes. your health is too low. So you have to spend time building better armor, and it's like oh that takes that just takes the the speed out of the game and it makes you less interested in what's going on with Kratos and Atreus, which is, to me, was like one of the main draws of that game. I was really taken in by how uh, real their relationship felt. And that's, you take the speed out of the game and, and it's like, okay, well now I care a little bit less about the fact that Atreus is angry at his father, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that dissonance between kind of the gameplay and the RPG systems Again, like that's one of the things that's annoying me about a lot of the AAA titles these days. Where I'm playing this action-heavy game, I hit the guy with my sword, and the game says, Oh, you're five levels below this guy. You know, you do one point of damage. He hits me with a lucky strike, he does like 500 points of damage. And, again, it's always that risk when you're trying to combine these different systems together. And I want to ask you, Yellow, like... What do you think about kind of this merging of RPG and action-based design? Again, obviously with uh, Viola, like it is an old-school JRPG kind of uh, kind of gameplay loop. But we have certainly seen over this decade just how much developers have combined RPG and action. I mean, there you know we've had some fun discussions on the channel here on the podcast with you know. Is Call of Duty an RPG now? Because there's a leveling system. Yeah, there's, yeah exactly. You can level up your guns, right? Mm -hmm. I was going to mention that. Uh, well, Viola is like a classic JRPG where everything is contained within the battle screen. Sort of like everything about your stats is just going to reflect back on how well you'll do in battle. And there's also no, there's no skill check. Like no, there's no action gameplay other than like the rhythmic, you know, tapping like the, the QTEs that you get. But mm -hmm. Those are simple enough on purpose that you should, you know, understand those pretty quickly, and you'll start hitting those perfect uh, hits like pretty quickly, uh, and like maybe you'll have one or two failures on the spell before you get like, okay, this is how I do that. Mm -hmm. um, so like all the strength that you get from is from your stats, and that's immediately apparent because there's no action element to it. Mm -hmm. There's also a specific you mentioned before that like there's no. Um, Mario and Luigi-esque block in Viola, which is also sort of on purpose to kind of not really gate the player, but to sort of make the HP juggling um, a part of the part of the game. Because mm -hmm. Mario and Luigi can be very easy if you're yeah. you know constantly blocking everything. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Viola, you can now actually still have those tense moments of like, oh geez, my my guy's about to die and I'm out of potions. You know what do I do? Um, or like, okay. I'm at full health now, but suddenly it's there around, and like one guy gets attacked really quickly. And now Fenris is at two HP, and I got to give him a potion. So you, it's more about like mm -hmm. making quick adaptations to your game plan rather than just following the same game plan over and over and executing on it correctly. Yeah, that's 
which is something that I've always enjoyed about RPGs in general. It's just that feeling of quickly adapting to what you're facing and what the situation is. And that's what turn-based combat is good at, right? Yeah. And like you said, like um, <clears throat> that kind of planning, of course, is a really big part about JRPGs. And my voice is dying. One second. No problem. It's always a good sign when my voice dies in the middle of a podcast. It means we're having a good conversation. <laughs> but yeah, like that kind of strategic planning has always been a favorite of mine. Like I love like dungeon crawlers where I can build my own party. I decide what tactics I want to use and go along those lines. And it's something that you don't really get in the more action-heavy games. Again, because of the fact that they are relying on the player's skill and mastery. Like, you can't do strategic planning in a game like Sekiro, for instance, <laughs> yeah. and go around like that. No, the only planning you can do in Sekiro is, like, knowing exactly which moves to do when. Yeah. And adapting to what the enemy will throw at you. Yeah, but it's much more reactionary and yep. reaction-based. Yep. Um, now, as a quick time check, we are just about going to be hitting an hour in terms of our talk. I figure, again, like we could sit here for three to four hours. like It's nothing. But uh, we'll try to shoot for like an hour and 15, I think an hour and 30, I think, as our stop point. That works for you. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I think we can... I mean... We can just ask a few more. There, there are probably maybe a few more questions that you wanna, yeah. you wanna ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a question. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. We had a question from Ryan in chat. As Viola is based around story, are there hidden lore bites behind secrets to reward exploration? Yep. <laughs> there just are. Like, just look around a little bit more, and uh, there won't be as much in the first early access build because the levels are a little more linear to make sure that you're set up, you're understanding the mechanics, you get all your party members together. Mm-hmm. At that point in the game, you're already like, your brain is already like <laughs> trying to map those things away. So there's not going to be that many lore secrets in, in the first build. But after that, I want to you know put more and more of that in there. Mm-hmm. And I have a few questions kind of rumbling around in my head about, again, combine the platformer and RPG gameplay that uh, I want to kind of throw at you now while we still have the time for them. Uh, one thing that I was curious about, and again, getting back to this idea of combining two very different game systems together, and that's the fact that Viola, as an RPG, it also has level design to it, again, because of the platforming aspects. And that's not something that we typically see in an RPG. You know, the most we get is maybe the design of a dungeon in terms of how maze-like it is or what puzzles you find. But while we were playing Viola on stream, it is very much designed as a platformer. Obviously, as you know, as for people who watched us, like you have to jump around. You have to figure out, how do I get you know up to that platform to get the treasure chest or get around that enemy? And I want to ask you, like, what is your approach to level design, like specifically on the platformer element of it? My approach to level design is, first of all, that the player never takes damage. That was the most important part because that's such a big part of 2D platformers nowadays is that, you know, you hit the spikes, you die, and you restart, <laughs> right? Um, I wanted to remove that part of the equation 
And that immediately brought me more to like Metroidvania style gameplay where you have like a big map that like sort of sprawls around. But I wanted to have that feeling of progression of, you know, beating a level and then going on to the next one. Um, because the huge open maps in Metroidvania are already like, you don't always know where to go in games like Hollow Knight or in Metroid. So adding JRPG stuff to that, like adding JRPG battles to that might just slow things down. So I definitely wanted a part where like you can go from beginning to end and you have a little reward in story, like usually at the end of the, of the, of the level. But I did want to have like the sprawling paths where you can go, like you don't have to go always from left to right. You can go up, you can start wall jumping. Oh wait, I can go down here below these platforms and find a little secret chest there, or maybe have to find, uh, you know, maybe I have to fight an enemy there first. Um, I wanted, yeah, I wanted to have that. There's also a few parts where I put the player on a linear path so they can get the idea of like a new mechanic. For instance, when you first see the cannons in the game, the ones that like launch you in a specific direction, I make sure that, okay, you're just going to have a linear path so that you always have to run into these cannons so that you start to get like, okay, this is how the cannons work. Yeah. Um, when I'm not doing that, I just let the player usually choose between different paths, like two or three paths, and they can choose like, okay, well, I see this enemy here. I don't want to fight that. I'm going to pick another path. Or, oh, I see a chest over there, but I, to do that, I have to jump over here and fight this guy. Oh, but there's a chest. Okay, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I really liked about the platform was I was able to actually get around enemies by actually performing the triple jump properly. And I could kind of been rewarded for more of the exploration that way. Yeah, there's, that's part of the game as well, is that if you don't want to fight an enemy, you can just be like, oh, I'm just going <laughs> to jump over it, or I'm going to wall jump, or I'm going to you know take another path. Yeah. Um, but that'll make the game a little more difficult later on because there are going to be like gates. There are just some enemies that are going to be like in front of a hallway that you're not going to be able to avoid, or there's going to be a boss. So there are going to be like these sort of level gates, like expecting, like expecting people to be like, okay, you're going to have to be you know, level three to get past this part. So it'll be interesting to see what people do with that. I've had a a couple fans have actually, or a couple friends, I should say, have actually been like, oh, I want to speed run this game and see (laughs) like, you know, how many enemies I should be tackling and which enemies I can skip. And I've also like found out that like there's a mini boss in the fourth level in like the maze forest, uh, which is this black wolf, which is pretty tough. You can just triple jump, wall jump, (laughs) and just completely avoid it. And I was like intending that to be another experience game, but when I did that, I was like, "Whoa, you can do that! That's <laughs> awesome. We're keeping that. That's that's great. That's fun. It's it's also sort of fun to feel like you're uh, smarter than the game, you know." Mm-hmm. I gotta ask: Is there any like speed run tech that can actually get you to skip the final fight in the game? <laughs> can uh, someone just like yeah. skip the right triple jump over the final boss? <laughs> No, 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 no. There's going to be... Uh, most of the bosses, like the actual bosses, like um, how Justice is in the church in level 3, um, those are story-related. So I want to make sure that the player does that. Um, so there's going to be gates. Like, you're going to have to have a certain level. Um, but like I said, I don't want to make the player grind as well, so it'll like move towards the easier side, but then people are going to be like, all right, I'm going to break it in such a way that I can do it at level one or I can do it at level two. That's going to be uh, an interesting balancing act during early access, I think. Yeah. 
Now, uh, regarding like the exploration side of things, one thing that I noticed while I was playing the early or the pre-early access build was that the various treasure chests that we found were all basically consumable base. Will there be like any gear or equipment in Viola? Yeah, I'm not sure if you've played the most recent build, but um, in the initial build that I sent to people, which had just the first two levels, yeah, it was just consumables. Okay. After that, when I uh, when gems are introduced, which are basically like okay, um, they're like stat boosters, but they also take away stats. They're sort of like a simplified equipment system. Okay. So you can have a gem, and it'll be like a basic gem will be like plus three to strength, but better gems will be like okay, this is plus six to strength, but minus three to defense, for instance. So every gem that you equip is going to be like a little trade off, like so you can. Think like okay, I want to make sure that this guy gets stronger, and I don't care if he's slower. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way, you can sort of build your character in a way that um, is more fun to you, or think or a way that you think they're more useful. Especially Viola, whose stats are actually like more average across the board. Like she just is kind of good at everything. Mm-hmm. You can just be like, well, she's good at attacking, but I like her blow beat spell so much that I'm just going to put magic gems on her that lower her defense or lower her attack and I'm just going to use that spell a lot with her. Mm-hmm. Where you can be like, well, you know, she's good at healing, so I'm going to, you know, add more magic or I want to make her better at attacking. I'm going to add more attack stuff. Or, no, I want to attack more if Fenris and make Viola defensive, right? I'm going to add defensive gems to her. That's been, uh, I-, I think that's actually been pretty fun. I, I-, I personally like those sort of min-maxing elements although they are much simpler than in other jrpgs mm-hmm. so it's been personally i think it's fun to like play around with you know making sure that there's a there's a character called soleil who is super tanky but not very fast and not very good at magic i like just like going all in on defense with her <laughs> and just using the block button every time and then you see enemies doing like zero damage <laughs> to her and that's like yeah that's really like its own brand of satisfactory yeah, again, that that min-maxing at that level is always fun. As you said earlier, it really allows a player to try and feel like they're one-upping the game when they figure out that perfect combination of gems or the right skills, or even just at the simplest level, just having, like, your perfect party composition. Like, I've played RPGs, I think, uh, what was it? Uh, I think it was one called, like, Radia Historia? Radiant Historia? Yeah, I think that was like a time travel one. And even the Persona games, where when you get that perfect combination of party members and skills all synergizing, you can just lay waste the game. And it's always that great aha moment when you figure it out. Yeah, that's a, that's just fun in general to like feel like your tactical magic of the game is, uh, is helping you not just beat it, but like destroy it. Right? Yeah. I saw a video of Phyla where someone was having trouble beating one of the bosses in the game in mm-hmm. the early access build, and they were like, wow, it's really difficult, even though like I, I thought I was a high enough level and the game was relatively easy. Mm-hmm. But I remember just being like, you know, equipping all my magic guys, <laughs> on, all my magic gems on Nico because he did super effective da- double damage against the boss, and then specifically saying, all right, I'll garbage this character, buff this character using that character, and <laughs> use a lot of water spells over and over and over. And, and yeah. with that, I, like, beat the boss in, like, two turns. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, is this too easy? Or am I just... Mm-hmm. Do I just know the game that well? 
And going back to Nocturne, that was pretty much required by the design. Because that game was all about exploring enemy weaknesses and making sure your party could defend against them. And that can always be a very tough balance, as we've talked about before. That if it becomes required, as in, you know, if or to beat this boss, I must use, you know, the perfect min-max strategy, then people feel like they're being punished, you know, for trying to experiment or do something else. Right. Um, question from Chris in chat. Is Maple Story or Wonder Boy part of your inspiration? He said that he thought those were some of the first RPG platformers. I've never played either of those, so no. <laughs> My main inspiration was, uh, obviously, Lisa, like we talked about, mm-hmm. the sort of reverse inspiration in that it's, uh, I was so frustrated with the game. But most of my inspiration comes from Undertale and Owlboy and Mario and Luigi, like just newer, shorter RPGs and indie games that are just like sort of paving the way for indies nowadays. Mm-hmm. Now, there is one design question that I had for you that I'm curious how your answer is this. And it kind of is, again, part of this whole combination of the platformer and the RPG side. And that is that from playing the game, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, this may get to end later on, it didn't feel like there was a a huge connection between the two systems. And I'll give you the example that I was thinking of. Like, going back again to, like, the Paper Mario and just, like, the Mario RPGs in general, as we all know, if you could time, like, let's say you hit the attack button before the fight begins or you jump on the enemy, you get, like, an initial reward for doing that. In Viola, uh, Viola, like, if I jump on the enemy or if I hit him from behind or walk into them, like, there's no reward for that. And I want to ask you if there are any considerations for, again, trying to blend or blur those two systems together, or do you want to keep them separate in that regard? It's, I, I, mm, I've, the thing is, I've been thinking about that from the beginning. Like, like mm-hmm. okay, if you jump on something, you should get like a little extra damage to start off the, the game with. But as I said before, um, when I started, I was sort of a novice programmer. Like, I basically didn't know anything about programming in general. And it proved to be a little difficult. And also, like, in the playtest builds where it weren't in, people weren't mentioning it at all. Like, I would have, like, people playtest it in, like, a very early state. And they would just not say anything about it. And I was like, okay, that's strange. Yeah, I thought people would bring that up right away. (laughs) And people continued not to bring it up. And I was like, well that kind of mechanic is going to cost me another week of work and nobody's mentioning it. I can put that week of work somewhere else. <laughs> and that's sort of, um, how do you put it? That's a, that's a, uh, a rough way to think about it. Like, Oh, if they're not mentioning it. I'm not going to do it, but it's sort of like, like putting in that mechanic could cost a week of work that I could put into some, into making a better story moment, you know? or maybe putting in an extra side quest or just anything else that isn't that. So if people aren't, you know, mentioning it enough, then I'm, I'll probably just yeah. won't bother. But if enough people are going to say like, Hey, I really want that in there. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, obviously I'm going to do it. Right. Because then it's like, okay, people want that. And it's a point of feedback for a lot of people. If people aren't missing it, then like, okay, maybe I shouldn't. Mm. 
And again, like for people just tuning in, uh, Viola is not out on early access yet. It is due out on the 23rd, so in seven days. So it will be very interesting to see kind of like when more people get their hands on what they say about that. Because I'm sure like with people playing this game or looking at it, you're going to have platformer fans just as you're going to have uh, JRPG fans. And it's going to be interesting to see like where they kind of fall on the, the merging of these two genres. Right. I think it's mostly still... I still mostly see Firelight as an RPG, mm-hmm. uh, simply because the platforming, like I've taken out a lot of stuff that people enjoy about platformers nowadays. Um, so I think mostly people who, you know, we, we in games we often talk about genres as, as if that's the, the end-all, be-all of like why people <laughs> play a certain game. So I, don't, I don't play a game just because there are stats and there's a party, I play yeah. an RPG because they usually have a, sto- a story that I enjoy. And that's what RPGs are known for, and it's hopefully what Viola is going to be known for. And most people who play platformers are like, I want you know high-octane action with a bit of challenge. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily want a story. So I yeah. think more RPG fans are going to flock towards Viola than platforming fans. Hmm. Yeah, and it's going to... It'd be very interesting to see like what people think because I am I'm going to bet that you're going to get comments on the forums about people saying you know why isn't this Kaizo difficulty or I want you know spinning blade traps like Super Meat Boy in the game yeah maybe I don't know like, <laughs> that's going to be that's going to be weird that's also the one of the hard things about being a game designer is knowing just as well like what to listen to but also mm-hmm. what to ignore sometimes yeah and again like we just had a whole discussion about feedback yesterday on our live stream so if we do that now we'll be here for another two hours <laughs> so but yeah. yeah it is a very important topic when it comes to these kinds of games i guess um oh as another quick warning for the people watching this live, we are probably going to be wrapping this up in the next 10 to 15 minutes. So this will be officially last call for any questions yep. for Yella about Viola, RPG, platforming gameplay, anything like that. So please get them in now in the next few minutes as we will be wrapping it up very shortly. I do want to say to something that I saw in the chat from mm-hmm. Chris um, yeah. about the wish list for later. Mm-hmm. I definitely have that. I have a a giant design document with all the stuff that I want to put in the game and everything that's like that's like a maybe is also in there but I do know from experience maybes are very often not getting into a game like I've made three different games even if they're on mobile they're still like they're games you're making a game Um, the maybes and the nice to haves are just probably not going to be in there you're gonna have to fo- you're gonna focus on the stuff that has to be in there first. Yeah. Make sure that that's polished. That that's very that's that it's very fun. That that part that that part is you know good. And you're a little nice to have, not to be rude, but it's probably not making it in there. Yeah. But I do have a list. And <laughs> if there's if there's time, and like I said, like when I, if there's enough feedback for something, that's obviously gonna move something up the list. Mm-hmm. We've had that before where we had uh, a certain mechanic or a certain like explanation in a nice to have and then game testers would come in and say, you really need like, I don't know what I'm doing here or I don't understand this part. And then like, okay, that nice to have is going to 
bump up to a must have <laughs> because that's more important than we thought it was. Yeah. And there's still a lot of questions we can certainly delve into. But uh, to kind of get to our final section for today's cast, and if you're free in the future, y'all, it'll be always great to have you back on for a follow-up. Because, again, we can sit here and talk about RPGs all day long. <laughs> yeah, probably. There's so many of them. Oh, yes. But uh, I do have a few... Uh, before we get to a few early access questions, are there any elements regarding the gameplay of Yolo that we didn't touch on that you'd like to bring up now? Mm. Anything we missed or, you know, in this, <laughs> you know, everything we've talked about so far. I don't think so. All right. Not really. No, like, gameplay-wise in general, like, Viola is pretty simple compared to most JRPGs, mm-hmm. which is on purpose as well. Uh, mostly because it's just me, you know, like, I can only do so much. Um I do want to add a little bit more. Like I've noticed that I often default to the same <laughs> strategies as well while playing. So I want to add a little something to the battle system where you're going to run into more trouble. Um, like just, I want to add status effects, basically. I've noticed mm-hmm. that, that I missed, you know, having to react to more situations and like adding something like, oh crap, my character that I was going to attack with is now stunned. Like it, I have to skip a turn. Like it'll be simple still. But I want to add something like that, but that uh, it's going to be for the next Fruity Axis update. Okay. All right. Uh, so with that, uh, my final set of questions for you will be kind of centered more on the early access and what you have planned for it. And that will probably take us to the end, or that, sh- that will definitely take us to the end for our discussion yeah, for today. that'll be the last few. Yeah. So, um, as you said earlier, uh, you started working on Viola about a year ago. Was that right? Yeah, a year and four months. Okay. March the 1st, last year's when I started. Okay. And there's one question I always like to ask developers who go on to early access. Um, I guess, what kind of led you to putting Viola on early access now, as opposed to either earlier or later in the development? Well, if I put it out earlier, there just wouldn't have been as much to play. One of the first initial builds, you just have like a solid amount of levels, and like mm-hmm. just so you're not running into like a death screen 10 minutes in, mm-hmm. right? So, the first build is gonna have like 90 ish minutes of gameplay, a little more if you're you know very explorative, or if you run into a game over, you're gonna have more game time. But I wanted to make sure that you're not immediately like running into like this is the end of the early access build, which has happened to me. I've run into a game once that. It was very interesting. It was a, a sort of space exploration game, a sort of walking simulator on mm-hmm. Mars or something. And 20 minutes in, it was like, nope, this is all the game that there is right now. And I was like, oh, man. And I never returned to it, mm-hmm. right? Because I didn't get invested enough to in that really initial play. To bank on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and later, if I release it even later, we're going to run into troubles where you're getting later on in the year and there are going to be more high-profile releases uh, that you don't want to be involved in. You don't want to have to compete <laughs> against the big boys yep. with your early access release, especially because early access already has uh, the issue of being early access. Like Steam pushes early access games less to the player. Uh, that's a known issue with Steam, I guess you could call it. Um, so you want to make sure that you're putting yourself in a that you're releasing your early access in a 
in a at a date where you have the least amount of opposition. Exactly. As New Shark said, like next month is where that line is at, and that's exactly right. You yeah. don't want to go. You don't want to go past August if you're an indie game. Yeah, especially again, like AAA is usually, I think, like September to November is usually yeah. like, again like the big push. You know, it's the pre-holiday season to get those yeah. games out. Yeah, you want to avoid that that timeline yeah. as much as possible. And I, and I think another big point is that you want as many eyes on your game in early access, especially for feedback-related purposes. You want people to test your game so you know, you know, what are they thinking, what do they like, what do they dislike, and obviously, very importantly, you know, what bugs are they finding that I can fix? Right. Yeah. And also, like, is it is it resonating with people? Because if people aren't like if if. If people are playing it and they're just like, yeah, it's it's, all, it's fun, and they, then they don't, you know, talk about it with anybody else, like they don't spread it <laughs> or they don't get really enthusiastic about it, then it's like, okay, there's something wrong here. Because just making a game that's all right, if you can market that to enough people, that's okay, that's then it's fine. But uh, you need all the leg up you can get, right? Like you need that mm-hmm. that mouth to mouth. What's it called? Advertisement, word of almost like yeah, yeah, the word of mouth. Exactly. Thank you. Sorry, I said mm-hmm. something different. You need that word of mouth to make sure that the game gets spread enough that it gets like at least enough of a following that you can sell a, a certain amount of units. Yep. If you're not going to sell that amount of units, then you're out of a job. Mm-hmm. When I think about Undertale, it literally just like a friend of mine told me. Yep. When it came out, <laughs> like, yo, this game is fucking solid. Play it. And I was like, sure, never heard of it before, but you told me I love it, I'll play it. And that's like word of mouth is like, word of mouth is the foremost like way for people to really uh, to connect with new games because there are so many games coming out every day on Steam, right? Mm-hmm. Steam tells me, well, twenty new games came yeah. out yesterday. I'm gonna be like, all right, I'm not gonna look at any of these. But if a friend of mine tells me. You know this new game is really it's really awesome. I really enjoyed it. Um, you should play it. I'll be like, okay, yeah, I'll yeah. look it up. Yeah, we do our every week. We do our live show. We look at the weird games coming off of that next week. And yeah, there's quite a lot of games being released these days. Yeah. And like the same thing happened with me with Darkest Dungeon. On a forum that I visit, someone said this is a hardcore dungeon crawling rogue. I'm like, okay, you know, like that just like right up my alley right there. Just like someone say, hey, we have a new platformer you want to play. Or someone suggested me another run-and-gun Contra-like uh, last night that I downloaded the demo to. But, yeah, like, word of mouth is definitely very important these days when it comes, again, to these to games from the independent space. Because no, like, when you look at a new release list on Steam, you can't tell, you know, what's a legitimate game from what isn't. And in many cases, when we look up, like, the list, like, we'll, it'll be kind of like, you know, shovelware, 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 amazing game, shovelware, 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 that kind of yeah. thing. Or just not even shovelware, but just mediocre yeah. games, you know? Like, that are, of course, they're allowed to, I'm not saying, like, oh, mediocre game shouldn't be there. But, like, yeah, you don't, like, there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they're, they're flooding... Steam in particular, because Steam doesn't do any kind of, you know, they don't have any sort of quality control. 
they don't they barely even check if your game works it yeah. was really surprising to me that like <laughs> when i got onto steam and there's a hundred like you pay a hundred dollars and you can have a page on steam it is literally that yep. easy and there's nobody on steam on files and they're like okay well we're gonna look at this game and see if it matches our our content like if it's the kind of game that we want on our platform mm. it's not even that yep. you're just you're just free to do everything you want with it until even almost up to release date <laughs> well they'll be like okay yeah we're gonna check if it works if it starts up if it matches like um, the features that you're putting on your store page and like if microtransactions work. It's the only thing they check. <laughs> and it's staggering. It's like, yep. how is that possible? Mm-hmm. That's why like Steam is such a, I don't want to say it, but it's, a, it's just a pile of shitty games at this point because it's so <laughs> easy to just offload yeah. all of your stuff on it. Yep. And again, like these are our conversations we've had many times here on the channel, and we'll probably continue to keep having as well into well, the future. Yeah, as as long as Valve, you know, continues to do nothing about these things, mm-hmm. and as long as like the the internet propaganda machine keeps going on, you know, hating on other browsers, like just yeah. been happening with Epic. Like, not to excuse Epic Games from what some of the like shadier stuff they've done. Mm-hmm. But more in the sense of like, you know, they do one thing bad and suddenly Steam is like the best thing ever. Mm. You should never have another platform other than Steam when there are so many tr- problems with Steam. Oh, yes. And yeah. it's going to be v- like we've been saying this for the last few months. It's going to be very interesting to see how things shake out with kind of the new wave of competitors of Steam. We have Epic, we have Discord, um, we have uh, each IO. And while I'm again, like when we say each IO and the other ones, like we're not expecting them to, you know, tomorrow be the new Steam. But it's going to be very telling to see how Valve reacts to more competition and what the competition is going to bring to the table to try and court more people to it. Again, Epic has certainly, you know, been in the news for the fact, oh, they have news? Oh, that sucks. Um, Epic has certainly been in news for buying up exclusives, which has pissed off a lot of people. But it's also their way of sticking it to Steam. And there are a lot of developers out there who are more than happy to do that, again, due to the aforementioned problems. And we could certainly start listing a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, a friend of mine has asked me, like, like, promise me you won't go to the Epic store. And I'm like, if Epic pays me enough yeah. money to stay alive, uh-huh. I will gladly go to yes. the Epic store. Right? Like, they, if they pay me another two years of my life, yeah. like, hell yeah, I'm going over there. Sorry, because Steam is not going to do that for me. It's going to be like, yeah, well, I'm taking my 30% and you do whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it reminds me of like a double fine when they got bought by Microsoft. Like put a video with Tim Shaver, like like very sad violin music, and he was saying, "So it was a hard decision." But Microsoft came to us and say, "Would you like lots of money to stay in business?" And I was like, "Yeah, I think I would like lots of money to stay in business. I think I'm exactly. going to take this deal." <laughs> yeah, it's it. Yeah, that's the reality of mm-hmm. of making of making anything creative, yeah. and you know. In how we've, I don't want to say, I don't want to, you know, spread the meme of we live in a society, but it's how it's, we're, how it works. Mm-hmm. So you have to play along with the game, 
and a lot of players don't like that, yeah. and I get that. Like I, I fully understand that, but it's uh, it's just what reality is like. Mm-hmm. You have to make money. Yeah. If there's no money coming in, you don't have a game, basically. Exactly. And let me see here again. We can just keep on going if we wanted to, but a few final early access questions for you, and we'll end it there. So uh, for people watching this right now, how long are you planning on staying in early access for? Um, I don't want to stay in early access for more than a year. Okay. So hopefully I'll be done April 2020. That's my like, like hopeful release date, but um, that sort of depends. Like, like if I want to add more stuff, obviously there's gonna it's gonna take more time, but I don't want to go any later than July 2020. Okay. But hopefully, it won't even go that far. Okay. Now I plan uh, on hoping. I plan on like doing updates, like every, like major updates to the game every two months with new mechanics and new levels. Okay. Now. You said this earlier. The version that I played, this was about, at the time of this stream, probably at least three, maybe four weeks ago. Is that the same version that's going to be the early access build, or is the early access build now different than that? I think the one you played is an older version. Okay. We're now at uh, a version where there's four levels in total. Okay. um, Four recruitable characters. There's a full boss fight in a church. Um, There's a town to explore. So you're going to – there's there's quite a bit there. Okay. Yeah, so that is definitely different than the build that I played. Right. Okay. And I'm trying to think there's anything else really quickly early access related. Um, You said, of course, you're a plan for maybe every two months to have a major update out for it. Yeah. Um, I think other than getting to, like, like, you know, very – low-level discussions, like nitpicky stuff, I think that's all the early access questions I have. I guess anything regarding early access that we didn't touch on that you'd like to bring up? Um, it's going to be... I'm going to sell my game. It's <laughs> going to be 10 bucks in early access. Okay. Um, and once it gets out of early access, the price, will be, the price will be raised to 15. Okay. So it's at a reduced price. It's basically like a, a sort of quote-unquote sale... <laughs> for the entirety until uh, early access. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shark had a question. Do you have an exit plan for going out of early access? I guess, do you have anything like major or like what's going to be like your major point that the game will leave early access and hit 1.0? Um, just getting to the end of the story, basically. Like right now, it's just, I, I've, I've already made the ending essentially just so um, that I can... You know, if the game doesn't do as well in early access, I can shorten it. I can just cut levels and cut mm-hmm. uh, side quests out of it and still like already have the ending part done, and I can just shorten the game, essentially. Um, but yeah, it's just going to be like the, the player has to be able to play the game from start to finish and have, a, and have the complete story. And I think that's a very important point about uh, Viola, especially when we go to early access, that this is not a um, randomized or procedurally generated game. Like, this is not a roguelike in design. Like, there is a set beginning, middle, and end. And when we talk about games like that, it's always challenging knowing how that game will do on early access, because... 
a lot of the games that I've played on EA that I've really enjoyed have been the randomized or replayable ones. You know, we've played Slay the Spire, Dead Cells, etc., etc. And for games that are fixed in that regard, it's going to... I don't know, it may be a little trickier for Viola, because I know pe- there are going to be people who are going to play the game and they're going to beat every build the second you put it out there. And it's going to be tricky, I think, to see, like, how people who play the game, you know, early access build 1 are going to find the game at 1.0. Yeah, that's, uh, that is going to be tricky. You're right in that, like, most, most of the games that do well during early access are the ones that, you know, are procedural and that you can play continuously and that are quickly updated every, like, week or so to, you know adjust a few game mechanics or add a few new items to use. Um, and Viola is going to be a fixed story. It's going to be, you know, from mm-hmm. beginning to end and in between, it's going to add more stuff. Um, hopefully, like, I've been working with the indie bros to do marketing and yep. the plan is to, you know, once 1.0 releases, that's when we're going to, you know, reach out to press in a slightly bigger way yep. uh, than what we've been doing now in hopes that, you know, the game catches on then and then like everyone that has played up before is like you know those are the hardcore fans that i that i really love and get shout outs in the game you know yeah and they have a cheaper game that's also part of it is like you can buy it if it looks interesting to you but you're like well i want to play it when it's an entire story buy it now Mm -hmm. when it's the cheapest and then you'll just have it when it's done you know yeah it'll save you five bucks (laughs) and you can spend that on donating to the game with them Thank you. That was a really uh, that was a very clever plug there. Yo, know, thank you for that. <laughs> and thank you, Mojo. I just saw someone do it in the chat. <laughs> but again, we can certainly keep on talking, but we've kind of already gone over our first uh, projection. And again, with it being six hour time difference, it's almost I guess eleven where you're at. So it's almost eleven. I better uh, let you go for you <laughs> before everyone starts to fall asleep. But it has been a pleasure talking uh, with you about Viola and again about RPG design this afternoon slash evening. But uh, I always say to all of our developers, come on, I do wish you the best of luck with Viola. Uh, I already played it like we said. I'm definitely going to give it another run through when it hits officially early access so I can see what the new build is. And yet, as the game continues, it will be great to have you back on, kind of as you know, updates or even just as a post mortem when the game is finished. Yeah, that sounds interesting. All right, but uh, like I said, hang on Discord for like thirty seconds when we wrap things up. For the people watching us live or record right now, we're going to end things for the cast here. Uh, for you, Yellow, uh, in terms of social media, are there any places you would like to plug right now before I let you go? You can uh, visit Viola on Twitter at, at @gameviola, um, and there's also a link to the Discord right on the Twitter page, right at the top. So come out and join our little community. Mm-hmm. And if you like game wisdom, the stuff that I do, be sure to check out our Discord channel that has linked down below, and it is open to everyone as well. But 
uh, that is going to it for this week or for this week's cast. If you're watching this recorded right now, we'd like to get an early and ad-free version of it. Be sure to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash I'll be back tonight for our regular game streams. And if you are a developer working on a recent release or upcoming game and would like to come on and talk about it, please don't hesitate to get in touch. But that is going to do it for our 